Hello and welcome to Frankly Speaking, where we dive deep into regional headlines and speak with leading policymakers and business leaders. I am Katie Jensen. Massive change is underway in the Middle East, with the once dominant presence of the United States gradually diminishing. As the US reassesses its role in the region, the influence of other global players like China and Russia is on the rise after the Chinese broke a deal between Saudi Arabia and Iran. Alongside President Assad's welcome back into the Arab fold, both leading to backlash from Western governments. On this episode of Frankly Speaking, we hear from renowned Saudi geopolitical analyst Salman al-Ansari to ask how the kingdom has become the political centre of the new Middle East with multiple diplomatic missions in recent weeks. Whether real progress has been achieved with Tehran after the historic deal on March 10. And if a pariah state like Syria can be rehabilitated internationally without the blessing of the West. Mr. Alansari, thank you for joining us on Frankly Speaking. Now, in less than two weeks, we have seen Saudi Arabia sign an agreement with ASEAN, a cooperation treaty. We've seen visits to Jeddah by the Japanese Prime Minister, the Turkish President as well. And we've also seen a GCC and Central Asia summit take place. Frankly speaking, how do you explain what seems to be this diplomatic marathon? Yeah, thank you so much, Katie, for having me. Um, and thanks to Arab News as well. Uh, I think Saudi Arabia, um, as you have mentioned, right now is having this kind of uh, beautiful marathon. And I would love to call it the Saudi Asian moment right now. And uh, Saudi Arabia, a couple of days ago, signed a cooperation treaty with ASEAN. And as we know, uh, ASEAN has 10 uh, members in Southeast Asia. The most prominent among them are Indonesia, Thailand, Malaysia, uh, Philippines and Singapore and others and there are more than 50 countries outside the region uh, of uh, the South uh, East uh, uh, Asia having cooperation treaties with this uh, important and vital group. This definitely will enhance the bilateral relations of the kingdom with all the ASEAN members uh, so that's why I call it it's the Saudi Asian moment and with regards also to the Japan uh, uh, visit to the Japanese Prime Minister uh, visit to Saudi Arabia it was a very important visit. There were more than uh, 26 uh, agreements that have been signed between uh, Japan and Saudi Arabia uh, that involve so many different fields. And you can name like energy, water, advanced industries, technologies and, and health sector and also the financial sector. So there is a lot going on with regards to the Saudi Asian uh, relations. And we should not forget also the fact that Central Asian GCC uh, meeting uh, happened just a couple of days ago, where for the first time, the two blocs started to solidify their relationships. We are speaking of the Central Asian countries that have never been in the Saudi radar like they are now. These five countries are among the countries that uh, are considered to be very important also in OPEC+, Plus, uh, specifically Azerbaijan and Kazakhstan. And, and there are massive solar energy and electricity projects run by the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia, specifically through Aqua Power uh, Company, especially in uh, Uzbekistan. And I think this summit of the five Central Asian countries 
and the six GCC countries will pave the way for more win-win uh, um, cooperation and will definitely solidify the strategic and economic interest of both blocs. It's the Saudi Asian moment. And we're certainly seeing a changing relationship between a lot of these Asian companies and Saudi Arabia as well. You mentioned the trade there between Saudi and Japan. That was up 40% compared to a year ago. And we talked a little bit about the GCC Central Asia Summit there as well. And some interesting comments from the Crown Prince in his opening. He welcomed the countries back to their second home. And we've also seen China play a major role in the Chinese broker deal with Iran that Saudi Arabia signed back in March. But frankly, we haven't seen a lot being accomplished from this deal as a result, apart from the reopening of the Iranian embassy in Riyadh. In fact, Saudi Arabia hasn't even appointed an ambassador yet to Tehran. Why do you think we haven't seen more progress? Yeah, it's a good question. I think. Uh... And uh, since the show is called Frankly Speaking, I would say, frankly speaking, a couple of years ago, eight or seven years ago, I remember like I had a, a friend of mine. He is a diplomat, a GCC uh, diplomat in Beijing, in China. And I actually asked him, like, why we are not pushing the Chinese to do something with regards to uh, Iran? And he told me that, that they always raise up this question to the Chinese uh, counterparts and they always speak about nothing but trade. So it is a very important moment right now when we have the Chinese government to shift their focus, not only from trade perspective, but also to look at uh, security uh, uh, arrangements and also political uh, uh, brokerage, etc. So I think it's a big uh, move for China. It's a big move for Iran. It's a big move for the GCC countries and Saudi Arabia, for sure. Uh, with regards to the future, definitely China is considered to be the, mo the biggest uh, trading partner of the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia. Saudi Arabia is the biggest trading partner for China in the Middle East and North Africa. So th these uh, two countries have uh, strong uh, relations with regards to energy, with regards to products of all sorts, etc. So, and China, we know it's the factory of the world. Um, so, with regards to about going back to Iran, Iran has definitely been a problematic uh, um, regional power for so long. Will it? be contained by this brokerage time will tell us we can't actually anticipate how the iranians will be uh, taking this mediation uh, forward because at the end of the day we need to see actions actions speak louder than words uh, but if you ask me about my own kind of opinion i would say i am actually optimistic i'm optimistic because at least china we know that china is the only breathing mechanism for the iranian regime so once you have China to be in the middle in this uh, mediation kind of process, that means somehow you can call China as the guarantor of this uh, deal between Tehran and Riyadh. Will there be embassies? Yes, I think things are just taking uh, some time um, and the Saudis are actually uh, working on the logistic kind of uh, aspect of it. I don't have enough information about why isn't it uh, been uh, um, accomplished etc but i think it's just gonna uh, take uh, a little bit uh, of time but overall the saudi iranian relations needs to be a good relations for the betterment of the whole region because at the end of the day you need to have a development model iran is considered to be one of the poorest countries right now when it comes to the poverty line 45 percent of the people are under the poverty line why is that they supposed to be actually among the g20 nations and the 
can actually uh, become a very prosperous nation if they just uh, let go with their revolutionary kind of uh, well, ideology. Well, you say that, but, we, but we're just not seeing that progress. And you said, you know, the importance of China in this deal as well, but we haven't seen any progress. Uh, Iran really hasn't demonstrated it could push the Houthis towards peace in Yemen. The situation in Hezbollah-controlled Lebanon is still dire, and its status quo in Iraq, which has effectively become an extension of the Iranian regime, the prime minister there, al-Sudani, is merely a puppet for Iran. Why aren't we seeing this change? Yeah, you're actually right. That's true that we haven't seen much. But we should not forget the fact that such arrangements and such brokerage and such mediation takes time. So there is no a silver bullet for, for, for all, the, all the issues here in the Middle East. Will we be in complete trust with the Iranian promises? I would say no. And we don't have to take what they say at face value. But Will we be able to put China in the middle and to pressure the Iranian regime to change course? I would say yes, absolutely yes. So it will take time and hopefully we will see some outcomes that are positive for the region. Well, let's hope it doesn't take too much time when so many lives are at stake. Uh, I want to talk a little bit more widely throughout the region, specifically about Syria. Now, it has been readmitted to the Arab League, which also happened in Jeddah just a few weeks ago. But we've seen no signs of the Assad regime abandoning its previous policies, which had led to its isolation in the first place. But correct me if I'm wrong, but I really can't see a stick, just a carrot for the regime. Yeah, I think Syria definitely remains to be a big concern for the region, not only for Saudi Arabia, but for the region and the wider world as well. Readmitting the Syrian regime and Syria to the Arab fold won't bring immediate outcomes, just as I said, with regards to the Iranians. And such things take time. The smuggling of Syrian Keptagon is unfortunately still ongoing. The Saudis actually just today they announced that they foiled a smuggling attempt uh, with the help and cooperation with Oman, with Muscat. Um, and it's very unfortunate that the Syrians are still um, smuggling these weapons and just wreaking havoc uh, in the region through this uh, uh, drug and pandemic, I would call it. Anyway, I, I, let's also remember that the Syrian foreign minister, um, a couple of days before the Arab summit, he promised earlier that they will take more steps to curb uh, the influx of drugs. But that is yet to be seen. What will be happening, what we will be noticing, what we will be seeing in the near future, I don't have an answer for this. But at the same time, I know that engagement is better than no engagement. So that's the kind of thing I can actually say at the moment. So we would love to engage with the Syrian regime in such a way that can actually uh, 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 help to put our priorities uh, uh, um, in, in in a way that can actually make uh, the relationship better in the future. Will that happen very soon? I don't know. Well, I interviewed leading US expert Caroline Rose about Captagon here on our program to mark the International Anti-Drug uh, Trafficking Day. Now, she said that the measures taken by Syria so far have been purely cosmetic. And in fact, the real game changer would be standing up to senior level enablers within the regime itself, many of whom are close relatives or friends of President Assad himself. What do you think? Yeah, I think that's actually true that the Syrian regime, and specifically uh, Maher al-Assad, who is the brother of uh, Bashar, he's actually the man behind all this uh, drug smuggling. 
And it is uh, very unfortunate what's going on. And actually, it is the biggest uh, drug cartel in the world right now. So the Middle East is not only about uh, conflicts and terrorism here and there, but also drug cartel that is considered to be three times bigger than the ones in Latin America, as per uh, like a, a, a British report that has been published last year. So it is very concerning. What can we do? I think there are two ways we can actually uh, work uh, on this issue. One, through engagement. Will that work alone? I don't think so. But the second point, which is important, is to be somehow in the middle with regards to the Syrian issue. Why? Because the Saudis have been in support of the 2254 um, United Nations Accord that speaks about the reforms that needs to be taken so for the sanctions to be lifted, um, to have like a political uh, reform of some sort in Syria, to have the immigrants or so the refugees to be back to their country, and also to uh, curb on the, uh, uh, and to confront the drug cartel uh, within Syria. And also another point, uh, which is very important is to kick out the Iranian-backed militias and the foreign uh, militias. Will these things happen overnight? I don't think so. Will these things, or can these things happen uh, gradually, slowly, but gradually? It could happen. So I think the Saudis with the Arabs will have a unified kind of position where they can actually put enough pressure on Damascus to change course. And I think while the regime profits so much uh, out of the Captagon drug trade, I, I think that's going to be very difficult to manage. But time will tell in the coming months. Uh, I want to get your thoughts on another controversial topic, OPEC Plus and its relationship with Russia. Now, you founded and used to manage SAFRAC, which was effectively a Saudi lobby based out of Washington, D.C. So you out of everyone uh, probably know more than most why Americans are uncomfortable with the close ties that we're seeing between Riyadh and Moscow. So tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, I think, okay, here's the thing. The Saudis have always been having uh, this idea that sovereignty is key to Saudi Arabia and to uh, all the countries that are considered to be friends with Saudi Arabia. Uh, the Saudis have not changed course with regards to jumping from an ally to another. That's not the practices and the style of the kingdom. The Saudis have been following their interest since their inception. So uh, in the very beginning, the Saudis have been working with the Americans to uh, confront uh, the major uh, conflicts and the major uh, uh, adversaries in the world. So that's why I said it earlier that the Saudis and the Americans fought communism together. They fought communism together and they fought terrorism together and they stabilized the global energy and econ economy uh, together. So, and, and, and the Saudis are actually really committed to this very strategic uh, and important uh, relationship. Uh, with regards to the US, right now it is considered to be the second trading partner for the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia. It is considered to be the major strategic partner of the kingdom uh, when it comes to uh, security, etc. cetera. Uh, but Absolutely, there are some differences, just like in any other uh, relation. Right now, maybe the Americans are kind of upset that we are actually working 
uh, with the Russians through OPIC plus. But I don't think they should be actually uh, uh, having any concern with that regard because we're not there to help a specific country against another. We are there to stabilize the energy market. And the one and only way to do so is through engagement and through having a unified kind of uh, uh, mechanism through which we can actually uh, uh, work on the demand and supply. Because at the end of the day, we should be actually applauded as Saudi Arabia and OPEC and OPEC Plus for the effort that they have done. Because before the crisis and before the invasion of Ukraine, everyone, not everyone, but like almost every uh, uh, analyst and energy analyst was speaking about like having the energy prices and the, oil, the barrel of oil to go uh, to 140 US dollars. And look at it right now. So it didn't even uh, touch uh, a price that is uh, uh, close to that. So I think the OPEC plus and Saudi as the capital of energy and the central bank of energy in the world has been doing a great job by getting all the OPEC plus members to agree on stabilizing the energy market. So that's a, a good thing. And it works for the for, for, for the good of every country, including the United States. Okay, so speaking of Russia, let's talk about Ukraine as well, the scenario there. Now, we have hosted President Zelensky here on Frankly Speaking. Now, he actually thanked Saudi Arabia for its efforts in mediating with Russia to help with the prisoner released last year. Of course, in February this year, we also saw Saudi agree to give $400 million worth of humanitarian aid to Ukraine as well. So how do you explain the American position, which seems to think Saudi is siding with Moscow when we had the actual Ukrainian president thanking the kingdom. Yeah, I think uh, the best to, who can answer uh, uh, the Americans with that regard is the uh, president of, uh, of, of Ukraine. So and I think it's only like a media kind of thing. It's not a, posi a, a firm kind of a position by the US government because all what they want to do is just to have you to be siding with them completely in the way they uh, see things. Uh, the Saudis, just like most of the global South countries, India and other nations, have all asked for peace, have all asked for de-escalation. We don't want to have these gloves to be off completely and everyone would fight uh, everyone until the end because that's not going to be... Uh, uh, good for 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 but the future of humanity. But it's not just the media who has criticised Saudi. We have seen criticism from the U.S. government. That's true, but not like as much as the media, because the U.S. government has been speaking about this when they spoke about the uh, energy uh, cut or the barrels of oils cut that Saudi Arabia has enacted through OPEC Plus, and they said that's going to be for the benefits of Russia. And then later on, we saw actually some Democratic uh, uh, congressmen who spoke about actually the Saudis were right. Why, why did he so, say that? Because he saw the benefits of stabilizing the energy market. They thought in the very beginning, the U.S. administration, that we want this, the, the prices of oil to sky rocket, etc. cetera. Uh, um, but that didn't happen because we knew that all what we wanted is to stabilize the energy market because very high prices are not actually going to be for the interests of Saudi Arabia because the products that we will be receiving and importing will be of higher prices. So people need to understand these ABC kind of uh, mechanism with regards to uh, recession, inflation, and also the energy uh, market uh, prices. So overall, I don't think anyone buys the idea of Saudi Arabia siding with Russia through its decisions in OPEC.
it's just like an outdated kind of information that has been thrown by the U.S. administration at a time of anger. And then the media kept talking about it up to now. And I think it's important to note that Saudi Arabia already began the voluntary production cuts from OPEC Plus at the start of this month. Now, we know Russia is going to reduce its production next month. We don't know by how much, but it does feel like Saudi is already bearing the brunt of these production cuts. Uh, in fact, no matter what the kingdom does, it always seems to be criticised or, or questioned if you bring in superstar footballers like Cristiano Ronaldo or try and stage the Formula One, you are a accused of sports washing. If you introduce environmental initiatives, you're accused of greenwashing. Uh, in fact, I even read recently uh, about a criticism of gastro washing, but I don't think any of us really know what that is. So are these kinds of accusations, are they taken seriously inside the kingdom? Yeah, not at all, Katie. And there's actually something else that is called chef washing because Saudi Arabia was bringing some chefs um, from you know, from the outside, from abroad to Saudi Arabia. So right now they are saying Saudi Arabia is trying to use the kitchen to 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 change the perception of people. So it's just like I don't think anyone takes them seriously anymore in Saudi Arabia. And uh, let's not forget the fact that the Saudi Vision 2030 they it spoke about uh, empowering the youth in Saudi Arabia because more than 65 percent of the Saudi population are under the age of 35. So, and helping the Saudi youth and the Saudi society can happen through different sectors, including entertainment, including uh, uh, sports, etc. So, what's wrong with that? Like, what's wrong with the with, with with that aspect? So, they also may raise the question of the Gulf, because right now maybe Saudi Arabia will be somehow considered to be the 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 the, the hub of Gulf. What's wrong if Saudi Arabia, that's the question, what's wrong if Saudi Arabia is going to transform this sport from an exclusive elite game to all people's game? It's going to be for ordinary people. It's going to be an international game that everyone can participate in. And when it comes to, 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 to bringing players, as you said, from Europe, like why there is this outcry here? I don't remember any Arab or African countries blaming the European League to take our players. Like, I didn't hear Egypt to be complaining uh, to the European uh, League when they took uh, Mohammed Salah, Mo Salah. So just let's celebrate soccer, let's celebrate football, and, and leave racism, racism and, and Eurocentrism aside, because these actions and statements show nothing but an inferior complexity from the side of some Westerners, unfortunately. Well, this has caused quite the stir amongst the Saudi critics in the US. Uh, Congress, they're now investigating. Human rights activists are calling for boycotts. And uh, former US diplomat Jason Greenblatt, he wrote a column in Arab News saying that Congress should support investment from America, not discourage it. He also called out activists for being hypocritical. Uh, America has human rights violations itself. Uh, it also does more than $690 billion worth of trade with China. So what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, I think you said it right. It's merely a hypocrisy. Um, it's very sad seeing like an American, uh, like the American uh, friends and I consider the United States to be the most one of the most important strategic partners of, of the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia to be somehow going to this road of of a zero sum kind of uh, game and by somehow weaponizing human rights in a very uh, nasty way I would call it and it just imagine if Saudi Arabia would 
play the same game. We can actually say the same things with regards to the prisons in, in the US. You know that the most populated prisons in the world are in the United States, but we're not using that. We are not there to politicize human rights. And when it comes to human rights in the United States, like everyone can know, just go and walk down the streets of LA and see that number of homeless uh, people there in San Francisco, in Washington, DC, everywhere. That is That needs to be dealt with. But we are not there to politicize that. We want to help our friends, to tell them from time to time that these things need to be uh, uh, corrected. Yes, even though I'm actually sure that we don't like even to involve ourselves when it comes to officials in, to, in, in, in the domestic affairs of other countries. But I think the United States needs to get over this idea of claiming the high moral stance because that's not gonna help them. It's not gonna help their causes. It's not gonna help uh, them even fixing and rectifying the trajectory of the issues they have domestically. Because if they spend 10% of the efforts they do internationally, when it comes to human rights, they will fix the problems they have domestically. So that's what we would love to see the United States because the United States is the beacon of hope. And I still see it as the beacon of hope but it cannot remain to be the beacon of hope if they are blaming others for things that they are actually doing. Okay, so you say the US needs to shift its priority for its own domestic policies and really focus on its own backyard. Are these kinds of reactions from America the reason why Saudi is now doing more business with the likes of China, Japan and France? Do you think it is that these countries are more pragmatic or are they simply less politicised? Yeah, everything has been politicized recently. Like I said, I just said it and I I can actually repeat it and I'd say, okay, what about the United States? I'm going to use what about him? I know it's a logical fallacy, but I'm going to use it. The United States is the biggest trading partner with China. We should not be in a way where we dictate on how other nations should conduct uh, their businesses and with whom they should conduct their businesses. 30 years ago, China used to be the biggest trading partner for 20 countries. Right now, more than 130 countries. So it's a reality on the ground. It's the factory of the world. Let's work with China. China is not as it is perceived to be like an evil kind of uh, a country. We don't want that kind of double uh, standards and also this kind of zero-sum kind of approach by the United States. We want the world to live in harmony and at the same time, we want to have a win-win agreement with everyone, whether it's with China, whether it's with Russia, whether it's with our European friends, with the United States. And that's the role that Saudi Arabia wants to play, to be an equalizer, to be right in the middle and to make business with everyone. Well, that, that would be wonderful, but that does really feel like an ideal world, which we seem to be very far removed of at the moment, uh, particularly when we consider incidents that uh, recently took place. The horrific incident we saw several weeks ago in Stockholm when a man burnt a Quran outside a major mosque. Uh, huge outcry from that. Just a few days ago, we saw the same man stomp on and kick a Quran as well. How are these repeated incidents being perceived in the kingdom? Burning the copy of any holy book, whether it's the Holy Quran, the Bible, the Torah, or any sacred book, is absolutely disgusting and unjustifiable. And it's an action of extreme hate. If this is not hate, then what constitutes hate? This is my question. And I suppose if 
the Swedish government and its legal system doesn't rectify their laws with regards to allowing extremists and radicals to spread hate, then I won't be surprised if there will be a unanimous decision to take measures by the OIC, the Organization of Islamic Conference. And I think that's an important point. Uh, I know it's something you have also tweeted about previously, that it's not just about burning the Quran, but also about burning or insulting all religious books and symbols of all faiths. And I think that's a position most rational people would agree with. So what do you say to the freedom of speech activists who believe it is within their absolute right to do so? Is this free speech or hate speech? Yeah, thank you, Katie. It's a good question because they are arguing that that act, that's action of burning the Quran or burning any holy book is part of freedom of expression. So what about the Nazi slogans? That's the question. Because two years ago, if you go and check Reuters uh, uh, report, they talked about the Swedish government and the Swedish police arresting someone for only saying a Nazi slogan. And that's what he deserved. He deserves to be arrested for that. That's for sure. And to be uh, uh, sued. But why does it only happen when it comes to Nazi slogans and not with regards to preaching hate, hate against 1.7 billion uh, people, whether Muslims or the Christians or the Jews or any uh, group? So all what we want is to have a reasonable review from the Swedish government. It's going to be for their sake, because at the end of the day, you don't want to jeopardize the relationship you have with 57 Muslim nations for 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 appeasing only a bunch of radicals and extremists who want to spread hate and do not play with the words of oh it's freedom of expression freedom of of, of press freedom of whatever no it has nothing to do with freedom like burning a sacred book for millions and billions of people shows what shows that there is a specific or there is this kind of big hatred that wants to be projected and to be protected also by, 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 by the authorities. So that's in itself, I think, I've been to Sweden, I've been to Stockholm. It's a very friendly uh, uh, city, very friendly uh, nation. The people there are considered to be like really seriously among the kindest. And I'm really surprised seeing their government and their legal system to allow such a hatred. Now, Swedish police have filed preliminary hate crime charges, so we will continue uh, to watch that ongoing case. Uh, but continuing with the subject of freedom of expression, uh, I know in previous interviews you've said the far-left wokeism trend is actually the opposite of freedom of expression, and in fact that it actually reinforces the negative stereotypes. So can you elaborate on this for us a little bit? Yeah, I don't normally like to get myself involved in talking about the domestic affairs of other countries. But I mentioned what I've mentioned because I saw how dangerous this uh, woke ideology to the whole world, not only to the United States or to the Western nations, but to the whole world. Why? Because you can tell that they are actually doing exactly the opposite of what they claim doing. What do I mean by that? They are saying that they want to help the minorities. But what they are doing is through the reverse racism is something very alarming. Why? Because they want to make people to be identified by the color of their skin. That is not something uh, uh, humanity should uh, uh, 
uh, pursue anymore. And I think if Martin Luther King would, uh, would, uh, would, would, would come back to life right now, he would definitely be against uh, the woke ideology because he only said, and he wanted only one thing, to not be defined by the color of, of, of someone's skin, but by the uh, uh, character. Uh, so, so that's an aspect of it. The other aspect is the family issue and how the woke ideology is going against the family uh, concept. That is very alarming. The way they do the indoctrination of, of the children is very alarming. These things are not going to be taken uh, easily by the whole world's communities. And you know what happens in the United States doesn't stay in the United States. So the United States is considered to be the most influential country culturally, economically, politically, militarily, etc. So, 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 I would love to see the United States to somehow step back and to forget about the social engineering and to take their steps very carefully because what they are going through is really, I would say, signs of the demise of an empire. Well, very sage advice indeed. Mr. Alansari, thank you so much for joining us uh, this evening on Frankly Speaking. We appreciate your time. Thank you so much, Katie. Good to be with you.